Welcome back to Drilled. I'm Amy Westervelt, and it has been quite a month for climate news. A week ago, the International Energy Agency issued a shocking report for them saying that we need to end new fossil fuel developments now, not 20 years from now, not 10 years from now, today. This is Henry Kissinger's International Energy Agency, folks, not a bunch of tree-hugging hippies. And they're saying something that even progressive politicians who think we should act on climate have been kind of afraid to say. That was a huge deal. Then this week, a Dutch court ordered Shell to cut emissions from both its operations and its products 45% by 2030. That ruling sets a huge precedent for climate cases around the globe. And shareholder meetings in the U.S. this week didn't go the industry's way either. ExxonMobil had to give up two board seats to climate activist shareholders who have vowed to push the company away from oil and gas and toward climate action. And Chevron shareholders voted in favor of a proposal to cut emissions generated by the company's products. Chevron shareholders also voiced concern over the company's continued pursuit of human rights activist Stephen Donziger, who was in court in New York earlier this month facing criminal contempt charges related to his work on the case against Chevron in Ecuador. I didn't say attorney Steven Donziger there because Chevron successfully got Donziger disbarred last year. If you haven't listened to our season on that case, it's a quick way to get caught up. It's litigation that's been going on for 30 years. Today, I've got Paul Pazimino from Amazon Watch here with an update. He was in the courtroom last week and says the judge in that case against Donziger seems intent on sending him to jail. That update coming up after this quick break. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. Let's maybe start with just like day one showing up. What was the kind of the vibe in the courtroom? It, it was, you know, I've been working in some way on this case for 14 years, right? That rally, the opening day of Donziger's trial was one of the highest energy, most engaged uh, groups that I've seen in a decade in the U.S. especially involved in this case. Like we've had many protests at shareholder meetings, 
there are obviously there's more issues with Chevron than just this case, but this case is such an important one. But I was so amazed at the level and the amount of support and interest behind Donziger. And I see that as the failure of Chevron and Gibson Dunn's strategy. I mean, this is the last thing that they wanted to make Donziger into a hero. But by, right. by going after him to the level that they have, they've done that. They've turned the narrative around to why would any judge do this? Why would the U.S. judicial system allow this? Oh, mm -hmm. the fossil fuel industry is behind this. And right. then you realize this is one guy going up against an unbelievably powerful force that, that is seeking to destroy him, just like he's been saying for years. Mm -hmm. But now people, people can visualize what that looks like. The private prosecutor and the fact that the private prosecutor has links to Chevron. And then, you know, I just saw a, a few days ago when Stephen posted the log where they had met with Chevron's lawyer yeah. several times. And that kind of times. stuff too, where I'm just like, this just doesn't look good. No matter what you think of Stephen, even if you think this Stephen Donziger guy is sketchy, uh, this is unheard of. And the fact that he has already been on house arrest for what, more than 600 days now. Yeah, 650. A, yeah, let's call it almost two years mm -hmm. for a crime in air quotes that comes with a six month sentence. And the crime, <laughs> that's really what the point is about, right? They want it to be officially a crime because all mm -hmm. he did was resist a judge's order in a civil case. Okay, it's right. a federal judge and okay, mm -hmm. you're supposed to do certain things, but that's not a crime. They need to criminalize him so that when he picks up the phone and tries to talk to you know, the press or members of Congress or other judges outside of the United States, they mm -hmm. want to be able to say, Your Honor, this man has been convicted in the United States. Why are you listening to him? Or don't feature him. He's been, he's a convicted criminal. Okay, so what was Judge Preska like in the courtroom? <sighs> um, so I was, I, I've been thinking about how to, how I would phrase this. I'm not, I was not at all surprised, but I was continually shocked by her level of disdain and dismissal for Donzinger and the defense team. She didn't even pretend to hide the fact that she was going to keep arguing with the defense and that she was so happy to be listening to the prosecution, except for when she felt like reading the paper, which she did several times. Um, and I, what, like during yeah. the defense? During the trial? Yeah, during all parts, all, almost every day, I saw a newspaper on her desk and occasionally she would flip the page. And, you know, wow. this is a criminal trial. Like someone's wow. fate of going to jail hangs in the balance. You shouldn't be reading a newspaper. And apparently, you know, they're allowed to have that on the desk. It's not like you can't file a judicial misconduct complaint for that, but you should be able to, especially when wow. her, her demeanor towards like Marty Garbus, who's, you know, a renowned acclaimed lawyers worked, uh, you know, with, with Nelson Mandela and so many other leaders, Cesar Chavez, and yeah. here's this iconic defender of the rights of people who've been attacked by governments and, and others. And she argued with him. She berated him. She continually stopped him in mid-sentence whenever he was trying to speak. And he was bringing some really important constitutional challenges. Now, now with the caveat, right, I'm not a lawyer. I've just mm -hmm. spent so many times in court listening to all this stuff. But right. his argument was that Rita Glavin and Sorting Kissel had said 
on the record in court that they were not being supervised in any way by the Department of Justice. Now, this Rule 42 thing, which is really bizarre, allowing a federal judge to appoint a private prosecutor, it doesn't mean that once they do that, they can therefore act however they so choose, right? They have billed over a million dollars already, right? A federal mm-hmm. prosecutor would not do that. They can't do that. It's, it's, they shouldn't never charge by the hour because it's not in their interest to, to enrich themselves to prosecute a crime, but they should have some oversight by a government institution. So Garvis was trying to argue that we need to know, the defense needs to know what the DOJ was or wasn't doing. And Presto right. would not allow him to seek that kind of discovery saying that it didn't pertain strictly to these contempt charges. And she said on day one that it wouldn't matter whether or not Kaplan's orders were overturned on appeal by the Second Circuit. He received an order from a federal judge, didn't comply with that order. He was held in contempt. So she said pretty much right at the outset, like, I'm convicting you. I see that you have committed contempt of court. And that's what these charges are. And mm-hmm. that's why Donziger realized, okay, there's no point in testifying. Like this, there's, this isn't about us mounting a defense. This is about getting things on the record so that when we appeal, a fair-minded judge will actually look at what's the orchestration of this entire effort to, to lock him up. And that's how the questions on cross-examination were phrased, to show like how many hours did Gibson Dunn volunteer to work with the prosecutor? Um, how did you expect that Stephen Donziger was going to pay back the $800,000 that Gibson Dunn said it owes in legal fees if Gibson Dunn was trying to get his law license taken away? It makes it kind of hard to make a living as a lawyer if you can't to pay the money back if you have no profession. There were arguments that they spent way more money going after him than they ever expected to collect because, of course, the objective was not about the money. Did, did this, this stuff about, you know, Chevron's attorneys meeting with the private prosecutors come out in the, in the trial? Could you talk a little bit about that? It was quite interesting because two, the two principal witnesses were Ann Champion and uh, William Thompson from Gibson Dunn. Ann Champion started as an associate before the RICO charges were filed. She was involved in the 1782 filing, so prior to 2010, I think. And Mm -hmm. then she was involved all the way through the RICO case. And so she has kind of, when the prosecution asked her, she had kind of an encyclopedic knowledge of the case. When the defense asked her questions, all of a sudden she kind of had a hard time remembering things. But as they were going through questioning her, um, you know, Ron Kuby for the defense would ask, how many meetings did you have with, with uh, Rita Glavin and Sword and Kissel, um, calling them the private prosecutor, not giving them the, the, not really respecting the idea that they're supposed to be acting as federal prosecutors. They were called the private prosecutor. And she talked about meetings that went on for several hours, like well, a seven hour long Zoom call with her and other partners at Gibson Dunn, all preparing for this testimony. Now, the, you know, they have it received subpoenas to testify, but they haven't received subpoenas to meet with the prosecutor. That's something that they did of their own free will. And as Ron Kuby would ask, he would say, so you, how many hours did you volunteer? And both lawyers would say, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it that way. Like I wasn't volunteering. 
Okay, well then were you compelled to do so by law? No, I wasn't. Well, were you billing Chevron for the time that you spent? Well, no, because this doesn't pertain to Chevron's litigation. So that means you volunteered, uh-huh. like that's the definition of volunteering your time. <laughs> Um, but they they were so belligerent that they refused to even respond with a yes or no when asked yes or no questions. A, a great example was at one point Ron Kluby said, so did Kaplan, so Kaplan rejected that order, request of Gibson Dunn at one of the back and forths, right? And the mm-hmm. response was, well, I wouldn't say that. He, he, he declined to accept it. <laughs> Ron Kluby's like, your honor, <laughs> can you please just direct the, you know, witness to answer the question, yes or no. And it got to the level of the absurd when they, Ron put up um, an exhibit, which was the filing of the RICO charges, the first document filing the RICO charges. And mm. Randy Mastro's signature is at the bottom of the page and mm. a line checking a box that says damages to be assessed, um, to be determined at a trial because originally they were seeking money damages. And then the mm-hmm. box was checked for a jury. Right. Of course, we know famously they dropped the money damages. They didn't want a jury and they never got it. And, you know, Kaplan refused to give Stephen Donziger a jury. But it was Randy's signature at the bottom. Everybody could read that. It was up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. William Thompson's like, I can't quite tell what that is. So Ron Kuby's like, okay, do we need to go through this? That first letter, would you say that that looks like an R? And William Thompson's like, yeah, I could say that that could be an R. The next letter, does it look like that could be an A? Yeah, that might be an A. And they went through every letter of Randy Master's name before wow. he would admit, okay, yes, it looks like Randy Master. For what purpose? Like, there, it's not a crime. There's nothing nefarious about Randy Master being the one who signs it. It's just that they right. didn't want to give the defense even that. She overturned every single objection of the defense but one. And she sustained every objection for the prosecution but one. So it was so clear from the beginning that this was Preska, you know, going through the motions, getting in on the record so that she can get to a conviction. And that's why I really think Stephen Donziger made the right move and not testifying because it, it wouldn't have helped him in any way. So what happens next now? The, the you know, everything has rested, right? So I imagine Preska will have a decision soon. So she gave two weeks. They have two weeks to file their final papers. So there's no like closing arguments, but each side files uh, last documents okay. after that. So two weeks from yesterday. And then she said she would rule very quickly. Um, but that doesn't mean she'll sentence very quickly. So we don't know how long it's going to take before she decides if there's any jail time, if it's partial, if it's six months, the maximum. We'll find out at some point, probably in June, maybe the end of June. But it's really hard to say. And, you know, Stephen Donziger is just wondering every day if and when he's going to jail. Meanwhile, he's still stuck on, on home detention. He's still wearing an ankle bracelet. And still fighting these orders from Kaplan. Okay, well, two things. One, would any part of the judgment like force him to comply with Kaplan's order? And two, what's happening with the civil contempt charge? Because I know like the the judgment and that was expected. And you know, if that were to go, if that were to be dismissed, it would sort of eliminate the whole basis of this charge, right? right? So what's right. happening with that? Well, as far as what this does, I don't think actually it does. He's already surrendered his passport. I think mm-hmm. this would just be jail time. Um, 
I believe it's the other orders because this is just about the contempt. It's not about mm. the orders. Did he mm -hmm. or didn't he go into contempt? And he, he volunteered that he was willingly going to civil contempt, not criminal contempt. Right. But the the other, um, you know, it's been all that Donziger could do to defend himself against this. Meanwhile, mounting an appeal of all these other things with the Second Circuit takes a lot of time and energy and legal muscle and most of this is done pro bono, you know? So mm -hmm. I'm not sure where all of those appeals stand, but what's, what's really significant to this case was that the recent decision in Donziger's favor was about clarifying um, Kaplan's order about what he could or couldn't do with mm -hmm. um, the judgment and, and selling basically shares of the judgment in order to finance enforcement efforts. So he was continuing to work with people to do that, which is how Canada happened and presumably more enforcement action would happen. And Kaplan's order was too vague because Kaplan's order basically says, as you know, Stephen can't monetize the Ecuadorian judgment in the United States. He can't profit right. from it. But right. it doesn't say that he can't take portions of other people's uh, portion of it and then bring it to investors and others to support the case. Right. And Chevron said, no, he can't do that. And Stephen said, yeah, the way I read it, we can't do that. Kaplan, can you please clarify this? Which he right. refused to do for a year. Mm -hmm. And then the Second Circuit came down. And trust me, there's nothing that they hate more than overruling Kaplan. They wanted to, if they could have mm -hmm. figured out how to dismiss all of his appeals, they would have. But they couldn't because it was so poorly written. They agreed. Mm -hmm. This was not clear. So that's the underlying basis for all the subsequent stuff that Chevron was throwing at him. But Preska wouldn't allow that to be brought up in any way as part of the defense. And that's the real crux of why this wasn't a case about justice. Because if you don't get to explain what's happening and why, if it's just a matter of you were told to do X, you did Y, therefore Z, you could have a computer issue a verdict. You don't need a human being to make a decision. So in, in what goes forward now, he still has to continue appealing some of Kaplan's orders. And I don't, honestly, I don't know when or if um, they will come down and say, yeah, we're rejecting everything and now you need to turn over your computer and cell phone. That could still mm -hmm. happen. And, you know, as he has said, if that happens, he'll do what he's supposed to do. He never said he was going to um, defy every court. He was right. going to appeal and then act on that decision. So right. I don't know when that's going to come, but honestly, right now he has to, he has to appeal the criminal contempt charges. So right. everything gets pushed even further. And this could be another year before the decision is even made on those things. Oh, Meanwhile, you know, everybody loses sight of the fact that every single day, this contamination is still affecting people in Africa. That's right. Every day the judge says, come back tomorrow, we're adjourning. Like you can adjourn for lunch in New York and have a nice little lunch in the cafeteria. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. tens of thousands of people are still affected by the water in Ecuador that no one's able to feed them. That's it for this time. Thanks for listening. If you would like to support our work, you can join us at Patreon. That is patreon.com slash drilled. We are bringing you several stories on the natural gas industry, its history, its impacts, and some of its crazy tactics coming up starting in June. 
and running through the end of the year. We've also got some more projects coming up on disinformation across industries and several international climate cases. So stay tuned for all of that and we'll see you soon.